gave a talk which said designers have a huge responsibility and if not done correctly they should be jailed a lot of people that time must have said this is too much but seems like he was right few years later oliver smiths from volkswagen was jailed for 7 years to design a software to circumvent us emission test and let nearly 6 lakh diesel vehicles bypass the pollution test it was a crime attributed to design today being a more aware designer at least of the online product world I believe it's our responsibility to question what we are building and how is it going to impact our users. On that note, I've decided to take a small but significant step, fonts. We use them so casually from a simple drop-down. Have you ever given a thought who are making these fonts? Am I using the right license version? Why should I pay for a font which I like? I don't know why I like it, but I like it. Today I have Tania George with us on audio again. Tania is an Indian typographer, a type designer. She did her MA in typeface design from University of Reading. She works in the area of graphic communication and identity design. She also teaches typography as a visiting faculty at ISDI and Pearl Academy. Along with that, she also conducts type walks in Mumbai. So thank you Tanya for giving your time and it's a real pleasure to have you on audio again. I likewise Kedar, I'm so happy you reached out. Yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah, I mean as I said uh, about the mike monterio book and it's it was really an eye opening and on the same lines i think uh, i was also reading about uh, massimo vignelli and bunch of other typographers who have a very strong opinion on font how they should be used what like a person can live with like half a dozen fonts for his entire life uh, so on those lines i have come up with few questions and mainly to understand the landscape of fonts and what you have learned and what what kind of uh evangelizing of fonts <laughs> and uh their use you have so if you can start uh with a brief history of fonts their origin story behind uh how like fonts behave today how were they used before and some background about it right um so for about at least 500 years fonts used to be a physical object it was uh something that was cast in metal and you could hold these pieces and uh, that's where uh, metal type setting comes from where you'd have these letter press machines where um you'd sort of place letters one next to another and space them manually okay. i um, think this was in 9, 1460s or something right it started yeah i mean gutenberg's attributed as one of the um, fathers of uh, typesetting uh, of uh, printing uh, letter forms essentially in, in the western canon there, mm. there is debates as to how it also happened far more earlier uh, in the east mm-hmm. uh, but that's not important for this conversation but the, the point is somewhere from the 1500s onwards uh, type was used uh, in a metal form essentially mm. and back then because you could hold it uh, buying and selling meant you know selling an object you would in fact sell fonts by weight you oh. would uh, you know because it just made sense because it had a uh, width and dimension to it and that was the most logical way that made sense uh, to sell fonts 
but today uh, fonts have dematerialized it's no longer something that you can hold and feel and you know sort of weigh anymore mm-hmm. it's made up of um, binary code and it's 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 software uh, in some ways yeah. again this is a debate that's out there amongst designers do you call font a software uh, or can it be called a plugin and that's also another conversation to be had um, but today because fonts are dematerialized um, the font file that you have uh, on your system consists of uh, uh, the font uh, font and style name it consists of the outline of the drawing of those letters so each of those glyphs are drawn individually each of those shapes that you type out someone sat and drawn each and every one of them so it contains information about that uh, outline it contains information about um, spacing and kerning values uh, feature code is there um, as well as the license to use it hmm. so all of these uh, pieces of information are there in the font file that you'll download from wherever, whether it's legally or illegally. Uh, usually, all the legal methods that you'll download it will have all of this uh, properly coded into that file. And once you install it, it works well on your system. If you've uh, downloaded from uh, sites that are questionable, uh, probably you're going to have some characters missing. Probably you're going to have spacing values very off or sometimes if you add like have fnt together then the then yeah. they, then they so seem the lig- corrupted yeah the ligatures don't work in fact one of the most popular uh, issues is you know they will either have only uppercase letters hmm. or they will have uppercase and lowercase uh, and numerals are very strange and don't look like they're part of that uh, design so uh, that's a price you pay for not having paid for uh, what you're downloading um and this idea of um, because it's dematerialized it sort of is commercialized in a way software is and in a way music is so that's a very common analogy that one tends to make between music and uh, uh, fonts these days Um, because just like music um, you don't really buy the font though people talk about buying fonts you buy the license to use the font and this is similar in music as well. You buy the license to listen to that piece of music on a particular device. Mm. Uh, so similarly, uh, you buy the license to use the font. The rights of the font are still with the designer, whoever created it. The outlines are still their uh, intellectual property, essentially. Unless, of course, you buy the license to buy that of them as well. So there mm. are those allowances made as but well. But these typically foundries would do. They would yeah. buy out some font. Yeah, that uh, foundries, no, la- mostly larger companies who want to buy out the whole thing completely. And there's a, a much larger premium on those kinds of licenses because you're buying someone's um, complete IP. Uh, they can't do anything with it in the future. There is nothing that they can uh, do with those outlines anymore. They can't sell it to anyone else. So they will basically... Uh, this will be the one source of income from the, that particular design. So, sure, sure. And speaking about foundries, if you can also highlight what, what is a foundry, because again, that word is derived from that metal casting Correct. part. So if uh, so, uh, back then it was this place where, you know, you had uh, people sort of pouring uh, different like antimony and tin and all of these um, different metals. metals and you'd sort of cast 
type with them. Uh, but that's no longer the case. There's no heated furnace working anywhere. Um, it's mostly in front of computers these days. Uh, a foundry can be a lot of different things. A foundry could be one person because you don't need too many people to design a font. You, one person could do the whole job themselves. Usually, you'll uh, they'll sort of um, either hire or uh, collaborate with different people who are better at you know different aspects of font making. Um, so a foundry could be one person. A foundry could be four or five people. Um, and that's usually an individual model where it's just, um, you know, a couple of people or one person. And the kind of fonts you'll get are um, not as many as you'd get in a foundry that is sort of representing multiple type designers. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are um, different models for this as well. And then there is another aspect of there being marketplaces to sell these fonts. So, um, I mean, for example, you have... Uh, my fonts. My fonts is a marketplace. Creative, uh, market, creative market, right? Uh, creative market is another marketplace uh, where you can uh, sort of buy and sell fonts. So you can also put up your work. Uh, creative market also allows for other things, such as illustrations and vectors and all of that. But fonts are also part of uh, creative market uh, ecosystem mm. and then monotype is a foundry where they have multiple designers Mo monotype is something like completely i mean a, a foundry just one part of what monotype does so uh, okay. monotypes far bigger than just a foundry so so indian example ek type is a foundry correct ek yeah. type is a foundry and there are a bunch of designers over there mm. uh, they all uh, all the fonts that they release are from ek type itself mm -hmm. um uh, I, but uh, you have ITF, which is another Indian foundry. Uh, they have designs by different designers mm -hmm. that they credit different designers that have designed the font. So you you can have that kind of crediting system as well. There is an international uh, foundry called Type Together, which again, you have multiple people sort of... Um, selling their retailing their fonts through that foundry. Mm -hmm. So not everything is designed by the people working for that foundry. Mm -hmm. uh, there are also people who sort of use uh, Type Together as a place to distribute their fonts. It just becomes a bit more easier and streamlined in that manner. Mm -hmm. That's not to say smaller independent foundries are not a good idea because they also offer uh, a good quality product. It's just that their offerings might be limited in terms of uh, the kind of varieties that they have to offer. So you mm -hmm. have to know what you're looking for and then sort of go out and uh, pick your fonts. <laughs> well, I recently did one uh, interview with uh, Kimya Gandhi. Who, right. she, she works as, as she's a founder, I think. Uh, of of Motitalic, yeah. yeah. Along with Rob Keller. Yeah. Uh, so, so what what is a font? I mean, then uh, how and where are these solds? Uh, how are fonts used in the present day? Again, like a very basic question sure. because I'm targeting this particular episode to, to be more... Uh, for a layman and, and not particularly for a design community because design community have certain sense. Obviously, there are certain nuances which we'll discuss today, but like a, for a layman, what's a font like? And um, So, um, I could go a bit deeper into this. Uh, I, I tend to use the word and people in general tend to use the word font and typeface Correct. very interchangeably. Uh, and for most cases, it's perfectly fine. There's, I mean it's fine, you can use them interchangeably. And today, especially, uh, there is, the difference is, um, I mean, there is a difference, but it's less so. Back in the day, font was the physical object, the 
taking cast in metal and the typeface was the impression on the paper the drawing and the design that came from that uh, mm. font mm. so today also the outlines that you draw um, are um, the typeface like the design that is there in that font file is the typeface um, but the font itself is a sort of packaging for what takes that typeface along so the font file that you download that's known as the font now that font file could contain uh, regular bold italic um, and all these different weights and styles just in one font file um, it's still one font file with multiple typefaces in it but you could also have multiple typefaces in multiple font files so that's mm-hmm. the so, so is it safe to say helvetica is a font and helvetica a uh, condensed bold is a typeface correct okay okay cool um so and what what are the different types of licenses i mean uh, why do you think like obviously this is going to be a longer conversation sure. why font should be licensed but uh, to begin with what are the different types of licenses which uh, one should okay. be aware of at least Uh, so because fonts got dematerialized and now they're this intangible thing uh, they started getting used in uh, different environments that um, sort of have evolved over time and the kind of licenses to deal with those different environments have progressed so for starters these fonts were initially only used on computers and um, you know these systems and printing machines so initially you had what was um, a print license essentially which is the basic license that most type foundries and uh, is universally offered today so you have a basic license uh, which is usually used by graphic designers it allows for 2 uh, to 5 systems in most cases this varies from type foundry to foundry um then you have a web license which is something that Uh, these fonts are uploaded on servers and they're used by web designers essentially now this license is not a perennial license it's usually a timed license and it is linked with the traffic of the website so every time um like if 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 the traffic on the website increases beyond a certain point these are all defined in the clauses like uh, all foundries have these uh define if it goes beyond a certain amount then that price changes mm. and then you have uh, app licenses which is uh, embedded uh, fonts in different kinds of mobile applications and uh, stuff like that so that has another kind of license mm. then you have uh, i think in that uh, web also you have impression based licenses because like if your website has a particular like 50 million users per month or per day then right. the number of impressions the font will surface up as a thing so that's also licensed differently because i recently bought one so right so that, that's why it's based on the traffic your website gets oh oh acha it's the same thing yeah. so, okay uh, so uh, you start off with a base number and if that traffic goes beyond a certain amount then it increases uh, the the cost of that license increases correct, correct. um then you have those uh, the app uh, app embedding uh, license you then also have uh, other kinds of licenses where you you know you can buy out the license like we spoke initially where let's say a company wants to it it's more feasible for them to cust, uh, customize get a commissioned font for their company rather than buy so many licenses 
you know because they have so many systems worldwide mm-hmm. um, so in that case they'll get a custom license and depending on uh, various scenarios they could e- either have a clause which allows them like a 5 year um exclusivity right on that design after which the founder or the designer is free to uh, sell that design or they completely buy out the whole ip and that's theirs and they can choose to do whatever they want to do with it mm-hmm. so roughly these are uh, the various kinds of licenses uh, different foundries you go to their website they have particular um, clauses for all of these things and all of these things are always there in something known as the eula Hmm. Uh Eula is an acronym for end uh, user license agreement. <laughs> it's a file that will come with every font that you've legally downloaded Correct. and it defines all these uh permissions and restrictions of where you can use the file that you've downloaded right now. <laughs> and also these fonts are I think available at a, a size level also uh for weight level as well, right? So uh if you want just a particular bold um and then the Correct. price reduces it's you need so you, not buy you, yeah them. you can buy single weights depending on where you're using it as well which hmm. um i mean it, it it's an easier amount to pay you don't have to buy the whole family especially if you're not going to use the whole family Correct. especially i hate italics so i don't ever buy really it. yeah uh so can you briefly tell us also about these extension formats uh, unicode some like bits uh, of uh, and also slightly elaborate on eula because that was my next question okay um um let me start with uh, uh, unicode mm-hmm. so unicode is a character encoding format uh, it's um not really directly related to fonts but it's the reason fonts function everywhere and anywhere today mm. so what it does is it's given a specific number to uh example the letter a uh and because of that number associated with that letter a no matter where you type it no matter where it appears so if i type an email to you you read the letter a because that same number is associated with uh that unicode yeah that the unicode code. value stays the same so uh, it's it's an industry standard now so across uh, operating systems across the internet the reason you can read exactly the same uh, letter is because of the unicode and so it, so for example if whatever like 0441 mm-hmm. that's the code right right so if that so is that getting punched into the into the whatever the interface and that's why a appears or how like it, it's it's encoded already so when you um, type into any keyboard if you're typing a if the keyboard is a latin keyboard if you're typing the letter a it already knows that this is the encoding for this letter and this is what's going to appear on your screen that's how when you type it on your keyboard that letter appears on the screen mm-hmm. um similarly and this is not just for latin so uh, the letter k in devanagari it has a particular encoding and when you type that on the devanagari keyboard that appears there and whenever that document goes to someone else whether it's an email whether it's a pdf document whether it's an indesign file whatever it is it'll replicate the exact same thing because that information is stored it's already encoded uh, within the font itself mm-hmm. so that's something that you design uh, while designing the font itself it's already it's it's a default Mapping. encoding that you that that's there now so i mean any font that comes out these days has to be unicode uh, compliant because there's just no other way otherwise people won't be able to use that font at all like mm-hmm. on any system it won't work so but does that mean you need to download the font to have that or uh, unicode is 
Unicode is there everywhere. Like your phone has Unicode. Like everything is Unicode um, mm-hmm. compliant because it needs to be. Mm-hmm. There is no way around it. So, so Mukta is a Unicode yeah, yeah. base. Correct. Now, if I, across the world, if I open a, a, a file which is written using Mukta font. Right. Uh, even if I don't have that on my machine, it's fine. Correct. Okay. okay. So, uh, But if I have to edit, then I need yeah, if you have to edit, then you need it. Um, usually, um, on like when I don't when I open a file that doesn't have the fonts on InDesign or Illustrator, it says these fonts are not av- available, and there's a temporary preview uh, that appears. So even if that font ca- is not there on the system, it'll revert to a default uh, system font that's available. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not be Mukta; it might be some other font for that script, whatever. Uh, because because there's a language marker as well. It knows that this is the script because uh, there are different blocks assigned to different writing systems. Mm-hmm. So it knows that this number is associated with this uh, writing system, and whatever system font is there for that that supports that writing system, it it'll fall back to that at least. Mm-hmm. Or if there's no font that supports that, uh, then there's that uh, tofu box, Correct. that square box, that uh, uh, the rectangular box that shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the fallback. Then you know that you know this font is not available or this script is not supported and you either download something that supports it or you have to basically Hmm. uh, figure out a way to solve that but that box indicates that you don't have a font to support the writing system and then what is I don't know whether uh, it's the right question but then what is the difference between ASCII code and then Unicode ASCII uh, used to be the encoding standard uh, before Unicode and uh, what Unicode does is it allows a larger number of uh, characters. Characters. So uh, basically, uh, imagine the, the the number is much larger. I'm, I I forget the exact amount. It's I think somewhere over a lakh or so uh, of available slots. Hmm. And all of these are assigned. There's a Unicode consortium that um, sort of you have to send a proposal to if you want to encode any character or any particular script and give a detailed proposal as to how why do you think this is important and how this is significant and they are the ones who will then um, you know take that proposal forward and add it to the unicode uh, block and assign it uh, sort of spaces in the unicode mm-hmm. so devnagri has a space most indian languages most uh, I mean, the official Indian languages have uh, uh, different blocks in the Unicode uh, that they're assigned to and they sort of work because of that and because of which the curve for Devnagri is encoded on a separate number, the curve for uh, Malayalam is encoded in a separate number and uh, curve for Odia is encoded in a separate number and all of them can appear in a document simultaneously because they're different letters encoded to different numbers. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I think... It's just a lack of media. Maybe we could have projected something and then displayed. But yeah. Uh, and uh, any any um, thoughts about the other things like formats, uh, ELU, EU? Eula. Yeah, EULA. Um, EULA is, like I said, it's a licensed document. Um, it's there in every uh, file that you'll download. No, uh, but whose responsibility is to write in that? It's the foundries or the, are there international standards which uh, someone has to follow? It is the foundry. It's whoever is um, retailing their design. So mm-hmm. uh, they they will have demarcated all the use cases that this can be used for. 
and it usually um, dependent on the kind of license you've purchased from them mm-hmm. so but there would be some guiding principle as to you have to have these four bullet points at least and those will be governed by some board somewhere i don't know um the eula is um, it's designed by the foundries itself so as far as i know uh, there is no board that governs it every foundry can come up with their own requirements but there are uh, sort of uh, standards across the industry where um, you know a desktop license does this and it's supposed to be for desktops only and uh, a web license will allow you um, usage on a server and so on and so forth now within this the number of desktops that are allowed might change from foundry to foundry so this you have to check with them hmm. usually two is done because it allows for one system and one laptop that you're going to be working from so which is why two is at least there hmm. it might go up to five depending on uh, the foundry hmm. again uh, server licenses uh, the traffic values might change from foundry to foundry okay. so uh, there are certain basic uh, things in place but then there are finer points that uh, foundries are allowed to sort of decide for themselves mm-hmm. and you were also saying about foundries are very easily accessible because they want to know in what context people are using what are the problems they are facing because this was like a personal thing i was trying to i think i downloaded calib B R E okay uh, from Klim Foundry huh. and the rupee symbol was not really a good glyph and it was I think uh, it was also slightly bigger than the number so it was ah. looking off yes so first we tried to fix it uh, on my own like something <laughs> uh, on a glyph maker but uh, that was too scary so we reached out to them and I think we got it resolved so yeah, um, yeah. I mean type designers are uh, people who want their fonts to be used mm. so they're going to try and um, you know find a solution that works for everybody involved um, in this case it was to resolve that particular glyph that you wanted and that's another thing you can do if you want a particular glyph that you think is not included in a design you can reach out to them and ask them that can you add this and um, they might charge extra for it but if they see the value in it for everybody they might just say like oh this is a great idea and and also welcome responses for feedback on their designs as well mm-hmm. so um this is a conversation type designers are very f- like happy to have mm-hmm. and and uh, what according to you are i mean this is like i'm con- concluding towards the last two questions which i have so uh what are the reasons do you think people are not buying fonts legally i mean uh, i can clearly see there's at least in india there's shortage of uh, good regional fonts uh good regional and like uh, uh, local typefaces so there is clearly like a huge demand but like the supply is less so in that case people should value the fonts right so any any insights you have uh, spoken to other foundries uh, why do they think uh, i i doubt that they are aware of it also right they are just being ignorant and downloading uh, from unknown sources so so that's my my uh, observation uh, right what are your thoughts on that um um especially in india um, i don't think uh, i think people are still trying to figure out as to uh, why people aren't buying more regional fonts i think that will change gradually because graphic design in india has sort of always had uh, english based uh, text in it like any advertisement you go to see mm-hmm. has uh, even you know hindi words written out in english 
look at bollywood posters hmm. all these bollywood names uh, like of all these movies are always written in english as opposed to uh, hindi or um, i mean regional languages tend to have uh, more efforts put into it but that usually ends up being done using lettering and all hmm. in some cases you've now started to see uh, examples of uh, typefaces being used to design those posters mm-hmm. no but in india uh, uh, with latin typefaces also people just download left right and center so uh, is it a cultural issue is it an attitude issue is it a knowledge issue i think it's a little bit of all of that hmm. um i i think piracy is an issue worldwide especially in terms of fonts because across domains <laughs> yeah uh, because um, primarily people don't have the uh, awareness of it the lack of education regarding the fact that you know oh you have to buy fonts like that is something that doesn't cross people's mind um i mean just for starters when i tell people that i design fonts they're like oh that's also a job because no one they're everywhere and they're all around you and you don't really realize that something someone does and that's something that you have to buy and pay for because it's just always been there everywhere no matter what uh, yeah sorry to interrupt but uh, so is this because machines have by default 10 fonts like arial and whatever trebuchet so you have those fonts so yeah. you think and they are implicit so you think boss ye hai to i can download more so maybe when when these computers started giving or microsoft word started giving default fonts at that time it was a empty slate then people would have got uh, sensitive to this um yeah so those were inbuilt system fonts but uh, people basically wanted to find their uh, different voices they, they were bored of the basic fonts available on the system hmm. which is why you have so many different uh, typefaces out there to allow for those different voices to come out and once people went online um they they found these fonts like if you ask somebody kahan se mila they're going to be like oh we found this from the internet hmm. and digital rights management for the font is is non existent essentially mm-hmm. because to duplicate a, a font file all you have to do is copy and paste mm. you can duplicate that file you can send it to anyone there is nothing to sort of tether it to the foundry that it came from um to any of its sort of origin so to say mm. you can still make out uh, because usually the naming of that font you know will have the foundry name or some uh, nomenclature is there that tells you where it's from um but it's fairly easy to duplicate these fonts and mm. um i mean it it doesn't strike people that they're doing something wrong or even worse if they're doing it intentionally um then they're sort of jeopardizing the whole environment of being able to create more fonts because you want people to be able to make more fonts mm-hmm. and the only way that's going to happen is if they get paid for the work that they've already done mm-hmm. so all of that will change um the environment that fonts are getting created for is changing you have new formats coming up something known as a variable font uh which is um a font file essentially that can store multiple font files in it hmm. that's the simplest way i can explain it hmm. because uh, you you can do a whole episode just on variable fonts hmm. uh, and as opposed to the drop down menu that we were normally used to uh, so you have bold italic bold italic condensed and all you have sliders over here so you yep. could essentially just slide across and pick whatever version uh, that worked for your document that you're designing hmm. so how do you 
license for something like this like how many instances are available for you to pick and choose on that slider and that just if there's one slider there are multiple sliders because usually there is slant ke liye one slider there is weight has another slider and there are uh, uh, variable accesses that we've not even thought of that are possible hmm. so um, how do you license something like this <laughs> so all of this is changing and it's it's a very dynamic environment and uh, at least right now uh, if you compare to the steel and the metal casting Correct. yeah um cool uh, i have last two questions so mm-hmm. are there any ways for foundries to trace uh, if the license if the particular people have bought uh license how do they discover like mera chori ho gaya <laughs> <laughs> um it's by i think a lot of it happens with the community only seeing something uh and saying oh this looks like that font and hmm. it might go back to the author in some way and then the i mean the author has the author by i mean the designer of the font hmm. would have to see if it is viable to sit and figure out if they sort of source this font uh legally or not because mm-hmm. that's another thing how do you keep track of which company bought the font and which designed that piece of poster or whatever it is that has used that font mm-hmm. and how do you find out whether they've used it legally mm-hmm. but is this because the uh, foundries are not as heavily financed as image and graphic uh, type industry because shutterstock getty images they know if their image was downloaded uh illegally and was used because of some some code in the image itself the number of times it uh the impression was seen on the web so they must be having some sort of a uh automation or like machine learning part uh, embedded in the thing itself so is that are there talks happening around fonts uh, which which I've will... heard of uh some people asking for this to be done with the font file as well I'm not sure how feasible it is and I'm sure if it uh, I'm sure the reason it's not done already is because it's not the most easiest way to go about doing it hmm. um and it would just create a more more of a hindrance in installing the font I'm uh, I'm not entirely sure why this is not the case it, like it seems like it can be done mm-hmm. um but i'm not entirely sure why it isn't done but mm-hmm. it's not done like I you think, uh, you can't trace back uh, who ha- like the source of the font or where it's come from at least um I- i've not heard of it uh, been happening any time right now uh, there are certain um, cases that are better documented where people have sort of infringed on the copyright or infringed on the license that they bought uh in most cases it gets solved amicably and i think it gets resolved by uh, the designer asking whoever has used the font legally to just buy a license and that solves the issue mm. but there are more i think public cases like i think uh, font bureau which is a font foundry uh sued nbc uh because they'd used a bunch of typefaces uh they'd bought licenses for i think just one desktop or the desktop license and they were using it on multiple systems mm. so that was a copyright infringement because they didn't have licenses to use on multiple systems mm. and over there it's a larger company and you know um going after them might be more feasible in the long run but to do that for every small place that does it is is impossible to do because you look at the printers that you have a lot of times 
people don't go to graphic designers they will go to the printer bhaiya and ask them to design their visiting card or some small thing and you don't know where they source their font files from um so this is another argument to be made uh, for hiring good quality designers and graphic designers who know their stuff who know you know their font licensing who know how to use these things because there is uh, a technical aspect to it but you also know all of these other things and you're sort of covered um, you know your business is covered because they will do things legally they will not use um pirated fonts yeah yeah ethics is a different subject altogether in design but yeah uh, so to conclude uh, since you also teach are there any five three bullet points uh, for people to be more conscious about font and uh, any any guidelines as to uh, how a font should be used in terms of uh, legal legalities um okay i i hope this talk doesn't scare people away from using yeah. fonts because no, i i would uh, like them to be scared because as i started off <laughs> with uh, oliver smith it, it's scary and i yeah generally but feel about I, uh, like i said that people uh, who design the fonts want their fonts to be used so if you like a font write to them uh if you find um, especially if you're a student uh, if there are students hearing this uh, most foundries give a discounted rate to students uh, some sort of uh, a lot of foundries i know also offer uh, free student licenses so as long as they're students and they're using it only for student projects you can use those funds for free which is an amazing um, offer to avail mm. so there are those available if you want to just try out a font a lot of foundries offer you trial fonts which will not be the entire character set but some basic letters so you can see how it looks uh, and sort of try it out before purchasing it in uh, its entirety mm-hmm. so there are uh, all these different options available uh, there are newer uh, licensing techniques there's something known as future fonts which is where you can invest in a font when it's in a very nascent stage so a designer has this idea of this crazy design and he or she doesn't know who's going to purchase it so it he, she or he puts out this basic design and tells you what all is going to come next and it starts out with a very low price so you invest at that point and all future upgrades you get for free hmm. it's like a kickstarter it's like a kickstarter but when they upgrade it in the future the price will usually go up but hmm. you get it for that base price because you believed in them right at the beginning hmm. so there's that model there's a uh, font subscription models where you can subscribe there's font stand uh, uh adobe fonts is another different kind of subscription model but you need to be subscribed to uh, creative cloud for that um you have um, something called as font of the month uh, club which is by this type designer called uh, david jonathan ross and you basically subscribe to his uh, font of the month club and every month you get a typeface in your inbox mm-hmm. a completely brand new well designed typeface that you get so there are all these different models people are trying and experimenting and trying to figure out what works because it's a very open space for people to do things in and yeah i mean they're responding to what's out there the possibilities are endless mm-hmm. um don't be afraid of uh licensing fonts if you're interested in something and want to purchase it um make an effort it's not as tedious as it sounds there mm-hmm. are rules and regulations in place and you will know that but uh, 
don't let that daunt you i mean i know you're trying to scare them but i also don't want them to be scared because mm. uh, the legality aspect of it is important but uh, it's not as scary as uh, it sounds <laughs> no i like the best example and uh, the best playground out there and not to be scared at all is google fonts which obviously will have a different audio can session altogether <laughs> but yeah google fonts fonts you have like i don't know maybe 500 plus fonts which are pro, like well designed they, they can yeah there is a certain so level of quality that is there to it again um, some world system uh, world scripts uh, so, sorry some writing systems are better supported than others hmm. even in india like devnagari has far more options than something like odia which i think has one mm-hmm. um, so there is disparities like that as well but of course i mean um, google fonts comes from a vested interest of them wanting to make the web searchable hmm. because all those fonts are unicode compliant uh, whatever is uh, like if there's a website made using google fonts which is their primary reason for creating open source fonts uh, it's all searchable text that hmm. sort of feeds into their uh, uh, system Cool. So it's a vested interest over there but again it's a good fallback in case you want uh, free and here I'm <laughs> you know putting it in quotes uh, it's not free it's an open source font mm-hmm. uh, and there will be a certain level of quality uh, beyond which if you'd want uh, more finesse in the output um, you'd have to pay mm-hmm. for that that reminds me uh, of a beautiful quote by Massimo Vengeli and I would like to conclude with that so I'll just first thank you for uh, giving your time and uh, it was really fun talking to you likewise kedar yeah so yeah here goes massimo vengeli you can say i love you in helvetica and you can say it with helvetica extra light if you want it to be really fancy or you can say it with extra bold if it's really intensive and passionate you know and it might just work And that's it from today's Gyan session. Catch us on iTunes, Savan, Stitcher, or any podcasting app you use. Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on AudioGyan.com. Till then, bye. Hello, it's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions, and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutta is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Natigritis. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, 
and HDFC mutual fund. Thanks guys, without you this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, Blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.